Well, it hasn't happened yet. I'm Brian. I'm Carrie. This is Isaac. And uh, today we're joined by Ramona. What up, Ramona? Hey, y'all. <laughs> uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah. So I'm an artist, a visual artist, uh, a writer. I help publish a radical feminist art zine here in Charlottesville, Virginia called Mala Leche. And uh, I also read tarot and do a little bit of witchcraft, primarily with angels and saints. So I'm super excited to be on the pod. And I also just want to say that I uh, I produced podcasts for about 10 years for NPR. and um, And I really love the chemistry that y'all have on the podcast. I'm very particular about the podcast I listen to. So yours is definitely one that I look forward to every week, including who's going to get their ass beat in the Chili's parking lot. <laughs> nice. Uh, um, we have not paid Ramona to say this, but <laughs> she's now our favorite guest of the entire pod. Uh, but Carrie, I think I was about to cut you off when you were... Oh, I was just going to say that's so kind. <laughs> we actually recorded... Uh, we're recording two episodes this week and we talked about the goal of the podcast uh, going forward is for Carrie's hometown chilies to disavow them and the fight corner of publicly. <laughs> or sponsorship. I think we take sponsorship, right? Like until we get canceled, brought to you by chilies. I'd do that. I just, whatever ends up with me getting free appetizers. That's yes. what I want. Right, right. Well, um, Ramona, Ramona wanted to come on and school us because... We talk a lot of shit about New Age spirituality and Christianity on the pod, but know absolutely nothing about it. So she <laughs> kindly, kindly and very gently offered to like um, come on the show and and show us what we're missing. So thanks for uh, thanks for reaching out, Ramoto. But first, why don't we talk a little bit about about your background? Like, where did all of where did this interest start for you? How did you get to this point? Those sort of things. Yeah, totally. So I grew up moving all over the world. My mom worked for the State Department. So whatever church we went to was like whatever English-speaking church was around. So I've been to Baptist church, Lutheran church, Anglican church. And when we lived in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, we went to an Anglican church that unfortunately uh, was a main part of the Episcopalian schism around when I was 12 years old. You know, there was like a lot of sermons about how homosexuality was evil. And as soon as our church kind of came out full force with that, I remember going to my parents one day and being like, so I'm thinking about being a Buddhist now. What do you think of that? And they were like, okay, whatever, that's fine. I think my parents were very much like, we just want y'all to go to a church where you can sort of like, you know, my my dad went to Catholic church growing up and he hated it. And my mom didn't go to any church. So they were like, okay, we'll kind of just take you to Protestant church and you can go to Sunday school and kind of learn about like the golden rule. And hopefully this will like help you be a good person, mm -hmm. me and my, my little sister. And, um, but once we hit like a certain age, they were kind of like, okay, we feel like you've gotten everything you can out of the church. And they too were pretty horrified by the public stances the Anglican church we were going to was making. So they didn't pressure me to go to church after that point. But when I moved to Charlottesville as an adult, I sort of like felt a call to start going back to church. And 
I went to a pretty hoity-toity Episcopalian church here in Charlottesville for about a year until August 12th came around. And I remember the Sunday after August 12th, our rector gave a sermon that was literally like, both sides have hatred in their hearts and we need to throw up our hands and say, help us, Jesus, because we're on a boat without a captain. And I like wrote him and I was like, wow, this was literally the opposite sermon that I wanted to hear. Like, where was the white supremacy is anathema to Christianity sermon? But actually on August 12th, I went to the church I go to now, which is Trinity Episcopal Church in Charlottesville. Shout out to Trinity. They are fucking amazing and very much like liberation theology based. It was actually a historically black church for about 70 years before they became racially and class integrated. So it's been pretty amazing, like being a part of a church community that actually like walks the walk as well as talks the talk and like understands the gospel does not operate in a vacuum. And uh, so, yeah, that's been like sort of how I have come to like be a millennial church going Christian. And I'll, I'll let you guys stop before I launch into my how magic became a part of all this. Um, Ramona, is this the Episcopal Church downtown? Is that the one you're talking about? Yes, it is. Wait, which oh, one? Yeah. The previous one or the or Trinity? The Trinity uh, one. Oh. The, yeah, the... <laughs> yeah, I, I just have to like... I have to like pour out some tea on this shit for just a second. Because when I was doing the, um, the uh, Confederate statue... Bible study thing I did with with Phil Woodson. It's basically for the listeners. My uh, another Methodist pastor and I in Charlottesville went around and did um, public Bible studies at the Confederate monuments and other racist statues in Charlottesville last year. And we did a ton of research about like their installation ceremonies and like the what was going on in Charlottesville at the time. There were always multiple sort of institutions involved in every installation ceremony. The president of UVA, somebody from the Virginia government, like a senator, someone from the General Assembly, whatever. And then the rector of that Episcopal church is at every single one of them. So, and then on top of that, a guy who graduated from this school with me worked at that church the entire time that I lived in Charlottesville. I never saw him a single time, not in the streets, not anywhere else. But then later I heard that their response to August 12th was working on a book about their history of racism. So um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. I mean, I just, okay, I, I, this, is, this is like broken record time, but yeah, this is like the reminder that the Episcopal Church too can be shitty. Um, not, oh, yeah. not, not, not my diocese or uh, the church that I work at, uh, shout out to ordination. Um, but I, I just think like, this is one of those things that you see online all the time. It's like people who like, like they, they, they hold up the tradition or like the sense that the tradition is somehow in and of itself going to save them from stuff or that they don't have to respond to things like this. It drives me nuts all the time. Anyway. Keep going. Absol- absolutely. <laughs> and like, yeah, to give that church some credit, like they are really trying to take steps like it, towards public reconciliation. But like that church was like a white, all white school during massive resistance. And like, you know, they, you know, I I would sit there during Sundays and I would clench my fists every time someone went up to give a sermon because I didn't know if I was going to be deeply offended or not. Like, you know, and I was just like, I cannot continue going to church to be like traumatized by what these people are about to say. So 
And the other thing to say is that Trinity Episcopal exists because that church refused to let Black people worship with them. So yeah, pretty shitty history. Uh, pretty rough. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Christ Episcopal Church in Charlottesville taking L's for at least 150 years. I There was one other thing, one other connection I was going to make to... Oh, yeah. Just it's been a tough... I don't want to bag too much on Episcopalians. It's been a hard couple I mean, of weeks how with can the queen you? being but, racist as hell. I mean, this is this feels like projection, though. I feel like this is just one of those things of like, we're not going to look into my closet in the Methodist church. We're just going to project all of our stuff on the Episcopalians, just to be fair. But yeah, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, last put, week was all about how shitty the Methodist church was. And now this week, we get to talk about how y'all still like the queen. I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I feel like we should move on. There's better things to talk about. <laughs> Ramona's like, I made an outline, uh, if you remember. Yeah, we got to stick to the outline. <laughs> uh, okay, so Ramona, clearly the... Uh, Ramona's like, I've listened to this preaching. podcast before. We don't need to go down this path. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, Ramona, clearly the homophobic preaching that you heard in, in that church growing up worked because now you're really into angels, the gayest beings in all of creation. <laughs> Oh my gosh, 100%. Yeah, angels like have been, you know, subverting the gender binary like since the beginning of time. Actually, in a lot of books about magic, Gabriel or Gabriel is often called chi, you know, and and definitely Gabriel is the most androgynous of all of the angels. But um, yeah, so, okay. Before we get into it, a quick question. How close is Supernatural on being correct about angels. The TV, you, the hit CW show, Supernatural. So oh, I hate to admit that I don't actually watch Supernatural. I tried a couple of episodes and it just seemed really like ma- ma- masculine to me. Like, And I will watch, like I've watched Riverdale, like the Vampire Diaries, Gossip Girl. Like I'm not like against CW shows at all, but like Riverdale or Supernatural for whatever reason, just... I'm more of a Buffy girl, honestly, you know, so. Anyway. Oh, you've, you've been on the correct path there. Cool, cool. I've good. just recently watched all 15 seasons of Supernatural while I had COVID, and it was, um, <laughs> it's rewired my brain, but I learned a lot of incorrect lore about angels on the way. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, well, we can definitely, like, come back to that, and I can answer some questions, because angels are my fave, for sure. But yeah, okay, so, I guess, like, a good place to start is like how, like, obviously, like if you grow up in an evangelical church or whatever, like the idea of witches or magic is like really bad, right? Like, I know that Harry Potter has been mentioned on the pod before. And like, that was like, you know, around the age I was going to church and it was like, this is evil, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, But actually, like in Catholic communities and especially among like Mexican-American communities, like, magic and Christianity are like very much interwoven. You know, if you if you get the evil eye from someone, if someone looks at you with jealousy or whatever, you do a cleaning using an egg by rubbing it in the shape of a cross all over your body while saying the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so there is really no sort of conflict between magic and 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 Christianity. Like if you think about like the idea of a prayer, it's very much the same concept as the idea behind a spell, right? Because you're putting your energetic intention out into the universe. And the idea is that you're like, you're trying to change the course of whatever fate 
by like appealing to a higher power or using, you know, your own connection to the divine to like change the course of of whatever it is you're dealing with. And so, yeah, so, and like angels and saints were all, also always a part of, of my family's, you know, religious experience. And so like calling on them in situations as mundane as like, I need help getting a job or like, if you're in a car accident, you know, like my my dad was in a really bad car accident when he was 16 and he claims that an angel grabbed him by the back of his shirt and lifted it up, him up and gave him strength to like walk to the road to get help. Um, so yeah, so I think like nowadays there's a big community on Instagram of witches who are really immersed in this Catholic Christian tradition who are really trying to reclaim Christianity for people who have been pushed out or into the margins or persecuted by like more white Christian um, sort of like dominance over our culture and like really show like not only is it okay to call on saints and angels when you need to do everything from like manifesting a job to get money or helping you if you get COVID or whatever, but like also that like we personally feel that like that connection to the angelic realm is like really very quite powerful and even more powerful, I think, than like the average Wiccan who is calling on like just the spirit of water or the spirit of air. It's like angels and saints in my experience are extremely responsive and like very willing to help anyone who wants to ask for their help. Ramona, it's so interesting that you started by talking about um, the role that sort of magic and spells play in, in Mexican Catholic Christianity because in my bag, I carry around a spell that a woman at the border gave me called Abre Caminos, which means the road opener. <laughs> but I, so, okay, I have to admit for me that some of my skepticism starts with this. You just talked about like the online community that you're involved in with this that's sort of grown up. I guess part of my skepticism on the pod in previous episodes about this type of spirituality is that the mental image I have when I think of it is like a white woman in Asheville, North Carolina, like smudging the cops or something. <laughs> so can, can you give us like a more expansive picture of like how the how this like new movement or reawakening of this kind of goes beyond that white attempts to sort of appropriate uh, some of these practices? Absolutely. There is a lot of... I'm really glad you gave that example because that's a really perfect example to talk about how race and culture plays into this whole, I don't know, this whole like uh, re-adoption of magical practices. So any good witch will tell you Sage is sacred to Native Americans and you should not, and it's an endangered plant and you should not be using it unless you have a connection to Native American culture, right? So as a Mexican-American witch, I smudge. And for the listeners who don't know, smudging is the idea of burning an herb to get rid of negative energy. I smudge using Palo Santo, which is like a Mexican, um, like wood that's like... uh, It's actually, you know, you have to be careful where you source all of these things because you don't want to cause undue harm to the environment while getting your supplies, right? So that's the herb I use because that's connected to my family and my ancestors and my tradition. Now, if you go to a witch store in Waynesboro, Virginia, 
which there's an amazing one called Pyramid. Everyone should go there if you are in Central Virginia. Um, they will sell you like cedar smudge bundles. You know, it, like people always say, you should always use plants that are like from your community or your tradition and and be really conscientious about like what it is that you're doing or engaging in, right? So like, I think, and I think your question also points to another issue, which is that whiteness really has erased people's connection to their own ancestral traditions, right? So, you know, if you're a white person and you're not in touch with your Celtic roots, you're not going to know who to call on and who to like sort of like start a relationship with, right? And, you know, like as a Mexican-American, like, you know, I could theoretically reach out to a Celtic god or goddess, but it's just not going to have the same power or impact than if I'm reaching out to somebody that like my great-grandmother was reaching out to. So it's really like, in a way, getting into magic is cool because it gives you an opportunity to like really look back at your family and see like, where do I have a personal connection? And that's really going to have the most power for whoever wants to get into magic. You So this is interesting. When I first kind of transitioned from the Methodists into the Episcopal world, um, I was I was shocked by all the talk of angels and and saints and and Mary and it's just like what is happening right now. And so like I I would in my in my own I would have never said this out loud. I would have called that derisively at that time magic a little bit magical thinking. But now I, I like it now. There, there's something about that that's very refreshing to me, and I and I understand it better and stuff. But there's an interesting move that I've seen in a lot of Episcopal um, contexts where they they go from that tradition into kind of appropriating things like smudging. So the person before me at my job used to smudge the classrooms every year, and I, and, and we we don't do that now. I, I I guess like there's a thing of like how do you I guess how do you Where's the line, I guess, between that for people? Somebody who might be like, that might come from, I guess, like a uh, Anglo, you know, Saxon type of like background, like a white person who feels called to this kind of stuff. But it seems like if you're not, how do you get, I guess, I, you, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, it seems like most of the stuff that they're trying to do, they, all they do is appropriate it rather than kind of find honest expressions of that. And I'm wondering if there is for like the the 50-year-old, you know, woman who uh, feels, is feeling dry from the point of view of like her current spirituality, like how does she or he or a person get into, I guess, something like this in a way that's respectful and, you know, and not going to be taking taking it away from somebody else that might, you know, be a part of their tradition. Does that make sense? Totally, okay. totally. So I guess like um, we can back it up a little bit and say you can have a relationship with angels and saints without necessarily being a witch or wanting to do magic or spells, right? Because like like I said earlier, prayer is very much, in my opinion, a kind of magic, right? And if you decide you want to have a relationship <clears throat> with a saint or angels or Mary, you know, like um, I heard, you know, I've heard several... Uh, teachers of of this tradition say you you want to start to build a relationship with whoever it is that you want to like talk to or ask for things from you wouldn't just like approach a random person on the street and then ask them for something right so if you want to get in touch with a certain archangel or mary or a certain saint you know get us a, a candle of them leave water for them every day or leave them little offerings you know think of them when you pray and reach out to them and have them kind of like get to know them and have them get to know you. And that in itself is is really powerful. You don't have to 
smudge just because everyone on TikTok is smudging with sage or whatever, you know, it doesn't really have to extend into, you know, candle magic and spell work and these sorts of things. And to be honest, you know, that not everyone, that that's not everybody's path and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. I'm also a tarot reader and there are a lot of tarot readers who don't do any ritual magic at all, which is totally cool. It's just one specific way of interacting with the divine and it doesn't necessarily have to look like everybody else's. It can very much just be a prayer and devotional practice, I guess. Mm. So I, I think that Brian, one of the things you're pointing out that was really important. It just and it goes back to a point our, our Ramona already already made, but just to really kind of flesh it out a bit is that whiteness not only has kind of cut white people off from any sort of tracking of like a cultural heritage. You know, a lot of even a lot of the stuff that came over into the Appalachians from Ireland or or the UK is basically gone and and most of it was music anyway. But I, I think on a deeper level is that whiteness also despiritualizes the world around us. So we think about uh, we think about the natural world as sort of a dead thing. And this is a an idea that we've touched on before when we had Rosie on called species loneliness that, mm-hmm. you know, because of whiteness, because of climate change, like environmental destruction, that most people in America can't name the single other living thing around them. So basically, we're the, you know, the way we interact with the world is that we're the only living thing that we know anything about. So I, I think that there, it's worth pointing out that the spirituality and notion that just of creation in general, part of uh, the consequence of where we are in, in history is that that's really gone for us because of the project of whiteness. Yeah. How many, how many trad, how many trad Twitter uh, people have, have already, um, they just, they just vanished out of existence from hearing this conversation. What, what's our, what's our over number on this so far? I, I feel like this is the sort of thing that uh, pushes up against a lot of boundaries. I mean, and I'll admit like a lot of this, this is a, this, this challenges me. A lot of this stuff challenges me just to put it out there because you know, it's not that I'm against magic and I, I don't think I'm not like, I'm, I'm not going to the, the type that was against Harry Potter and stuff like this. But I think this does, a lot of this challenges, I don't want to say typical, but I think it challenges uh, the way that the church thinks theologically. And I think that this sort of introducing this to me, there's a very expansive way of looking at God and thinking about spirituality by what you're doing. But I think it, it I think it ultimately is a, it might be a hard sell for a lot of people in traditional kind of normal churches. That's a really interesting point. And I I definitely want to answer that. But really quick, just based off of what Isaac said about our lack of connection to the earth, um, I think that might actually be a really good place to start if you are a white person and don't have connection to a particular ancestral uh, history, because the earth really is our mother. Like, and, um, you know, even something just as simple as like, cleaning up any trash around your house, you know, um, making sure that like your land that you're in charge of is well take, like, taken care of, um, spending time lying in the grass and really just being there with nature. Um, animals sometimes will like, depending on like the kinds of birds you see, how many birds you see, um, how many deer, what kind of animal, like all this stuff like is, the divine communicating with us and you don't have to necessarily have like a particular family history 
that you know about to to be able to tap into the the magic and the divine that's already there, um, which is really cool. Um, and Brian, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, and I think this is definitely like it comes down to like a difference between Catholic tradition and Protestant tradition because like. The Catholic right is magic, really. Like, and a lot of like the grimoires from the medieval times base ritual magic off of the Catholic rites and ceremonies. And like, if you think about like transubstantiation, you know, like the blood and body are like literally the blood and body of Christ because of the prayers that the the priest says over it. Whereas in Protestantism, it's like clearly a metaphor. And I think like the whole like, Protestant, like, you know, the people who came to America were like, this Catholic church stuff is a bunch of fucking witchcraft and we're like not down with it, you know? So I think like there is definitely this line, that line continues through like American Protestantism that's like very pearl clutching about like this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, and specifically within the Protestant church, because so much of our theology that has its roots in enlightenment philosophy is about basically how Christianity makes you more human or Mm -hmm. not being Christian makes you less. I mean, so much of the language we have revolves around a type of, um, if you deconstruct it, a lot of Protestant theology is really about rationality as the key factor to the expense of spirituality. And I think the other thing is that another major part of the wasp identity, which is ascendant and hopefully in its death throes in America right now, is that it wants to cut off your relationship to the land. So the first thing that as a wasp you should identify as is white, not as from a specific place. Um, And so you have no connection to the people around you. But also, I think the other thing about it is that, you know, we could like debate the the relevance of this thesis today, but Max Weber, who came up with the social, the Protestant work ethic, you know, we don't need angels and saints to do shit for us when we're supposed to just like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think a lot of this, a lot of the work that, and skepticism that comes from this, I think is... Is a part is a sign of how much work Protestants have to do to kind of deconstruct uh, the racial overtones in our theology, and certainly the impact of Enlightenment philosophy on our theology. But and and just to kind of wrap this up is that it's not a mistake that so much of the language around Catholicism from Protestantism going back hundreds of centuries, not hundreds of centuries, but um, several centuries is is to compare it to paganism. Uh, and also at the same time that people who, um, you know, in the immigration debate in America who are coming over have, have, there's a correlation between their Catholicity and whether or not they've been considered white at different points in, in our nation's history. And so, you know, even now we see that with a majority of, of immigrants in, in this moment being from Latin America and also Catholic, there's a connection there too. So yeah. I think... Uh, a lot of that has to do with how deeply racially specific Protestantism is. Well, and I think the Eucharist like, is, is a really great example of kind of the line that a lot of Christians are probably very comfortable with. Uh, and they would not use magic terminology for that. <clears throat> but I think the understanding of what happens uh, in like when, when the priest or the pastor is presiding over the elements, like 
there's a loss of, there's a mystery there that I don't know that I would use magic language for that. I think sometimes people do and it, it's kind of like a joke, but I think that that's really an appropriate way of kind of thinking about this, that this stuff is a part of how we think. We've just given it names like sacramental theology at times. Um, so anyway, I, I thought that was a really uh, interesting uh, it makes me wish we had Hannah Bowman on for the third time because I'm sure Hannah would have some hot takes about uh, about uh, the priest doing magic at the altar. So anyway, Hannah was our last two guests. So yeah, um, as I was listening to this, I was thinking about um, just like historically, like to your point, Ramona, uh, just historically, how much of uh, witchcraft or what Christians understand as witchcraft has actually been understood as being some malformed part of Christianity or Catholicism. Like in early modern Europe, all of the witch hunts um, were, there's this misconception. I know a lot about witch hunts. I'm really sorry. Um, But there's this misconception that witch hunts were like all about just like killing old women who were like kind of surplus or like, uh, like in Salem killing teenagers who were getting out of line. But a lot of witch hunts in early modern Europe were actually part of like purifying the Catholic church um, and like getting rid of specific heresies that were uh, deemed like too far out there or like kind of uh, anti whatever the Orthodox uh, Catholic theology in that moment in Southern Italy or whatever was. Um, And I guess, but that's also a really, it was also, they were always really gendered reactions. And I think that's held true um, is that, there's a really gendered element to um, to witchcraft, especially in, I would say, American society today. And I know in your outline, you talked about getting back into um, a Christian tradition through the Virgin Mary, which is also a pretty gendered um, experience. So I was wondering if you could talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. And before I do, I just wanted to say like with your like point about uh, witch hunts is like... Um, you know, like if you start to do magic, what you start to realize is like, you know, obviously like the Platonic theory of like us being connected to God is like very much present in a lot of Christian theological circles. But like when you start doing magic, you're like, oh my God, like I'm divine. Like you like start to actually have an effect on the fabric and reality of life. And I can see why the medieval Christian church would be like, this is not good for us. If people think that they're divine, why are they going to listen to what we have to say? Well, the and current like, church too. I mean, come on, let's let's be honest. The current church does not want that in, in a lot of ways. No, so. for sure. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the Virgin Mary. Um, so having grown up in traditional Protestant church settings, we were always taught to pray to God the Father. And, uh, you know, I think like a lot of millennials are unpacking kind of their own ancestral generational karma. And mine was definitely having to do with codependency, you know, like, and kind of appealing to an external masculine, emotionally unavailable source. Like, please help me. Please listen to me. Like, please give me things that I need. And uh, I mentioned before, I'm an artist. And when I started to do art, seriously, three or four years ago, I found myself drawing the Virgin Mary's icon over and over again. It was like the one thing that I, you know, felt like I could always go back to and it would kind of give me something new or show me something new. And um, eventually I figured out that she was kind of trying to get my attention. 
And it, it actually was a really big deal for me because I realized that I did not have to appeal to an external masculine God for comfort and power. That actually, the, like I too had this element of the divine feminine within me already that I could call upon. And, and the Virgin Mary was a figure that I could see myself reflected in. Um, and that was really powerful for me uh, because, you know, I think like in our society as a whole, we're seeing this awakening of divine feminine energy. And, and when I say divine feminine or, or divine masculine, it's, it's not necessarily gendered. You know, I think everyone has the divine feminine and masculine within them. I'm also now working on trying to awaken the divine masculine within me and not need an external male power source that I can appeal to, but also awaken that sort of masculine energy within myself. So, um, uh, you're yes. going to say that what you mean by divine feminine is the same thing that Dan Brown, the uh, patron saint of our podcast, means in the Da Vinci Code. Oh, God. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on Mary Magdalene. There was actually this pretty famous channeler who channeled Mary Magdalene. And um, and it was a man. And he was like writing and and he's like he's like channeling the voice of Mary Magdalene allegedly. And he's like... In the Bible, in the gospel, they called me a prostitute. And as soon as I read that, I went, eh, it does not say that anywhere in the gospel. And like, how dare you even try and channel a spirit? You don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. So um, anyway, that's just a digression. But Carrie, do you want to like, like, do you have any questions? Because I'm not sure if I responded to your, your question. Um, yeah, I don't think it was a very well-formed question. Um, Let's see. I let's see. I tend to respond academically. Let's see what I'm like actually thinking here. Uh, I my experience of like connect because I grew up in a, a very Protestant tradition, and and now in the Episcopal Church, which is more into like saints and stuff. My experience of like connecting with saints is actually just like whichever saint I find cool. <laughs> um, it's not a huge part of my spiritual practice at all. I mean. St. Joan of Arc. She's my girl. Uh, there's St. Euseferini, who I learned about in Lent Madness this year, who was like, she like dressed as a man and ran away and lived as a monk because she didn't want to get married. And then her dad found her. And then he like also joined the monastery. Anyway, so I think that I, my experience of saints is just like a very narrow um, understanding of like what they can do for a spiritual practice. Um, and so I think I'd just be interested in hearing more about how you came, like, came to understand like the Virgin Mary and other various saints um, outside of a Christian practice. And then that brought you back into the church. Totally. Um, yeah. Like I, first of all, like going with saints that you just feel like you're cool and I want to connect with you. That's like a really great place to start and um, like a really authentic place to start because especially saints that are not well known, um, like that second saint that you mentioned, they are super eager. Like if, if they have like a fan in the material realm, they are like, hey, finally I get to like interact with someone and like they'll like really show up for you, which is like awesome. Um, yeah, so... The Virgin Mary was definitely a gateway drug into this whole world of saints and angels. And um, 
Yeah. And so like, I'll just give some like recent examples. Um, so I have been trying to find a, a husband uh, and there are some saints that are very specific. <laughs> <laughs> I know, sorry. This, this was all a, um, a sign-up to get to this moment. A sign-up, yeah. I'm blushing. This you is what you call the hinge in the sermon, see. right? This is the hinge where everything just goes in the new direction. The new hearing. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. After this, like people are going to totally flock to the saints. Hold on, my roommate. Oh, no, she's good. Okay. Um, all right. So, so St. Anthony in Latin American traditions is a husband finder. Okay. He's the patron saint of lost things. Ironically, my most recent ex-boyfriend gave me a St. Anthony medal for my birthday. And my roommate was like, what is he saying? He, like, he wants to try and find you a husband. Like, and this guy got dumped pretty quickly. But St. <laughs> Anthony was like, not that responsive. And so... It's like asking my other witch friends, like, you know, been praying to St. Anthony, it's not really working out. And uh, there is another one, St. Anne, the mother of the Virgin Mary. And she is the grandmother saint. She's the matchmaker. She attends to any and all needs um, that you may have, like in the realm of romance or dating. So I got a St. Anne chaplet made out of rose quartz. A chaplet, for those of you who may not know, is a smaller version of the rosary. And you do something called a novena, which is you pray to them for nine days and you make a petition and ask them for something. And so I prayed this St. Anne chaplet every day. And at the end of the chaplet, I said, St. Anne, send me... There's actually a, a folk prayer. It's St. Anne, St. Anne, send me a man, right? So that's... Pretty I think famous. The Beatles recorded that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just in, in my mind, like that's the melody or like the style that came out for it. But yeah, yeah exactly. I'm hearing it to Polythene Pam like, I say, in my head. I, yeah, Isaac, yeah. Isaac bringing the boomer energy for this episode. I, I love it. So there we go. Yeah, there you go. I, I would say, St. Anne, I need a man who is pure of heart, incredibly intelligent, kind, attentive, committed, you know, good looking, attract, like everything that I wanted. And, and uh, about a month later, I met this person who checked all of my boxes and they were also a Virgin Mary devotee, a tarot card expert, a magician, good looking, one of the smartest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting like everything. Okay. So this is a plug for St. Anne. If you're looking for a partner or love, she has, she's your girl. And, uh, and actually St. Anthony and I reestablished our connection because I was waiting for a COVID test result so I could see this new boyfriend in time. And I said, oh, you know, I really got to hit up my guy, Tony and ask him to find that for me so maybe he can get back in my good graces. And before I even prayed to St. Anthony, I got an email that was like, your COVID test is negative. And I was like, thanks, Tony. And I wore his medal for the whole weekend that my beau was here as, as thanks. So anyway, so like saints and angels, they're there for you. There's always a specific saint for any specific need, but I always recommend that you, you start to, you know, pray to them, include them in your prayers so that you can have a relationship with them before you just ask for stuff. I, I love that your ex-boyfriend gave you the St. Anthony medal uh, or, or a th thing because like, it's just like, 
I don't know. It just like seems like such a rookie move. Like if you're going to try to play at this, you should at least know what you're getting into. I mean, he set himself up. So I, I love respect to him for for kind of just uh, dropping that and not know, not even knowing what was happening. So poor guy. T- totally. And St. Anthony, like I was like, why did you give me a St. Anthony medal for my birthday? Because I asked for a Joan of Arc medal oh, and he see? did not give me a Joan of Arc medal. And come, come on, man. Come on, man. I know. I know. This is what I'm talking. This is like a cell phone right here. He just owned himself. He's like, well, they're all the same. And he then totally look what happened. Did. Well, look what no, happened. He, to his credit, St. Anthony is the most miraculous saint. He has that reputation because he is extremely responsive. He miracled extremely his ass right out of your life. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Ramona, I I do want to ask... I mean. So there are like a hundred questions I have, but to, but specifically, um, I wondered if you just kind of talk about like your practice versus some of the practices that I hear other folks talk about as like sort of neo-paganism. I mean, what you're talking about, like if it, you know, you kind of alluded to this earlier that if you're not talking about like saints and angels, then you're sort of talking about spirits or things like that. But, you know, how did you come to this and not that? Like, what are the sort of ways that those communities interact? Like, can you kind of um, flesh out the bigger picture of this? Yeah, absolutely. So it is pretty trendy in pagan, Wiccan, spiritual, magical communities to shit on Christianity. A lot of people don't like to interact with saints and angels because they have such, and totally understandably so, like traumatic experiences with, you know, mainstream Christianity in the United States. And I could have very easily gone that route. You know, I grew up, like I mentioned, or I, I spent a lot of time as a young adult or like preteen going to an evangelical church that had Jesus camp and the whole thing, you know? So I could have very been like, fuck all of this noise. This is like not good stuff. Um, but, you know, I think like if you... I think if you're able to make a distinction that like Christianity in itself isn't on a whole, on the whole like corrupt and there is like, you know, there is, it is like a a tradition that has like been around for thousands of years or, and there's a real power that's associated with that, you know, if that resonates with you, right? So like, I'm not saying that everyone should be a Christian witch if that doesn't resonate with you. If you, you know, are more connected to elemental energies, like that's totally cool. If you're more connected to like, um, you know, hoodoo or voodoo and like orishas, like that's another route. You know, there's a lot of different ways to approach doing magic or magical work. and I guess like for me, because I grew up in the Christian church, this was very like, it made sense to me and it was accessible. And like, even as a little kid, I would pray to angels, you know, not necessarily knowing the difference between Raphael, Michael, Gabriel, and Uriel, but like kind of just being like, please, my guardian angel, like help me at school tomorrow or whatever. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> you can find me on Patreon. At, yeah. Um, Um, so, so when I came back to the church as an adult, you know, at that time, by the time I came back, I was already reading tarot, you know, I kind of knew about magic, but wasn't really a practicing ritual magician, which, uh, again, is a very specific set of rituals that you do if you want to cast a spell for whatever purpose, um, 
But I did, you know, start connecting and praying with the Virgin Mary, beginning to pray the rosary. And that sort of led me into the world of saints. And so now, you know, if I want, like, I'll just give you some examples of, of things that I, I do or have done. So I pray the rosary every day. Um, and I make petitions to her to ask her for things for myself and the people I care about or whatever. And then I also will do spells with angels. So um, my friend lost power in Austin a couple of weeks ago. And I, this was like, you know, I hadn't done ritual magic in a long time. I'd only done it with elemental energies, never with angels before. And, uh, and so she's like, I need you to send whatever power, like magic you can right now to like help us get our power back on because it's been four days and we're really struggling. And so I was like, all right, St. Michael, he's a saint of fire. I'm just gonna go ahead and, and ask him. So you, you, I won't go into the details, but you, you do us a, a circle where you basically remove whatever negative energy is in your house. And it is like a kind of meditation. Like before you start, you want to make sure that you envision roots going to the very center of the earth and ask Mother Earth to like send gratitude and have her give you your power so that you can then do magic. And then you envision yourself going up, 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 up until you're standing on the universe itself. And then you like ask for heaven to give you power to do whatever work you're going to do. And then once I'd done all that and cast my circle, I then invoke St. Michael above, uh, in front of me, behind me, to my left, right, above and below me. And I chant his name over and over again, right? And when I feel that St. Michael is in the room with me, then what I do is I light his saint candle it's very important to have water as well because water is a is a conduit that saints and angels can sort of access our physical plane more easily. And then I lit a candle that I had made, especially for my friend that had her name on it and a sigil, which is a symbol that's associated with the Archangel Michael. And I lit it and it takes about an hour for this little saint candle to burn down. And right as the candle was about to go out, I got a text from my friend saying that their power was back on. And so I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. The archangels are so responsive. And since doing that spell, I have called on Archangel Uriel to help my friend get a job. She had not found a job for a year and a half. And, and about a week after I did that spell, she got a job offer. I mean, it's like, you know... This isn't a brag on like my power as like a witch or whatever, but like that, you know, archangels and angels are always ready to help anyone who asks them. It's just a question of how serious you are, how much work you're willing to put in to show them that you're serious. And I think too, the other really important thing is that you, before you start doing any magical workings, you need to be in tune with yourself so that you know you you're an honest person you have like a, a good like moral framework so that like angels know that you're like a serious person that they want to work with you know like a witch's word is very important like um so yeah like i think like there's a lot of magical work that takes a little bit of book learning but the most important thing is to to learn about who you are and get in touch with yourself and what it is that you want to do and, and contribute because magic is ultimately about service. 
if I'm reading somebody's tarot cards or whatever, they're potentially coming to me to make like a really big life decision. And I need to be conscientious about the words that I say. Now, every time I read someone's tarot, I call on all of the saints and my ancestors and the archangels to bless my hands, bless the cards and bless my words. So I don't accidentally traumatize somebody. You know, like all that is very important to keep in mind. So, so it, it, it strikes me that this might be challenging for some of the clergy, if we, uh, for our many listeners, uh, the clergy, uh, especially if you are coming from, I think, a more traditional idea or if just this, this might just be completely new, right? Um, but it also strikes me that this is probably something that is going to become more and more common as people search for meaning and kind of look for new ways to kind of connect with the divine uh, and to kind of bring meaning through like spiritual practices. Uh, so I'd be interested in anybody like right now talking uh, right in, on the pod, thinking about like, you know, how do you, how do you think like if, if you are, if somebody comes to you and like, at, like, how do you navigate this? Because I, I think this would be seen as out of bounds by some clergy and others might think, oh, like what might be where I'm at, which is like, I get why this is impactful. Um, but I don't necessarily know how to kind of like communicate and like, and have that and hold this kind of as a place of, in a place of kind of like respect for somebody that might be going through a rearrangement of how they see the world and how they kind of engage in the divine. So I'd be interested in anybody on the pod thinking just how, how you would kind of navigate that or how you would think through it with somebody. I mean, I, I think some of it requires like a sense of humor and vulnerability about like what the clergy you're talking about already do. Like, right. you know, some clergy who listen to this podcast kiss their stole before they put it on or kiss the gospel. Like, so I, I think on some level, it's kind of like, stop taking yourself so fucking seriously. <laughs> but <laughs> secondly, Ramona is just talking about exactly what we say like creedally or theologically about prayer and and what we believe about the saints and and angels um and has just been sort of like i think um open enough to take that stuff seriously and the fact that it like sounds uh challenging to so many sort of mainline christians i think is a really depressing reality but it, you know ramona Sorry, I'm going to let somebody else jump in. Well, and be, I want to talk a little bit about tarot. Yeah, and to be clear, I I, I agree with all of that. I, I wasn't trying to challenge you, Ramona, about uh, what what you're saying because I do think that yeah, when you start to unpack, if like especially if you believe like an interventionist God, like which would not be out of bounds for a lot of clergy, there's not much difference in what we're talking about here. Is the idea of the divine being able to uh, interact and work within the material world? So anyway, totally. Yeah, Isaac, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was just realizing that, you know, the first thing I said about myself was that I'm an artist, but I haven't actually talked about any of my artwork. Um, so my goal as an artist is to reclaim Christianity for misfits, anarchists, feminists, sex workers, radicals, because to me, that is really the roots of our religion. And I don't think we see that reflected enough in art that has to do with Christianity. And the Catholic Church has always used art to change hearts and minds. And so my goal as an artist is to be a part of that conversation, but present people with icons that reflect who they are. And Isaac uh, saw up in Charlottesville over the summer, I wheat pasted a six foot high Our Lady of Anti-Fascism, <laughs> which is an icon that I definitely think 
the Virgin Mary like sent me, you know, any like inspired art people talk about, like, it's not mine. It literally came from heaven. Like it's a divine download. And, uh, and that was definitely one of them. And then another icon that I've done, which I really love, that was another divine download is a riff on the traditional St. Michael iconography. Um, but instead it's St. Michael who is black and the devil is a cop. So it's like kind of showing how like St. Michael actually like, and obviously like St. Michael is the patron saint of police officers, right? So it's sort of like ironically riffing on that notion and like maybe we need to be protected from the police, not the not the other way around, right? So, and it's really cool because after I made that image, several other um, Catholic witches reached out to me and said like, I've been seeing Michael as a black man for like several months now. Um, and so those sorts of synchronicities like show me that this art that I'm getting is is coming from somewhere else and I'm just a channel or a vessel for it. Um, and I was working on a New Testament themed tarot deck because interestingly, you know, if you think about like Jungian archetypes, the kind of archetypes you see in Christian iconography, like the mother, the father, the hermit, like John the Baptist, all of that is in the tarot, right? Like the empress, the emperor, you know, all that stuff. But since meeting my partner, who's also a Virgin Mary devotee, we've decided to retool our efforts and we are now working towards a 44 card Virgin Mary Oracle deck. And the goal of that deck is going to show how the Virgin Mary is is much more diverse, radical, and accessible to people beyond just the Catholic tradition. We're going to have, you know, like Our Lady of Nazareth, who's going to be like Palestinian Jewish woman and show like what she would have looked like. Our Lady of Anti-Fascism is going to be in that deck as well. You know, Our Lady Breaker of Chains. Like we really want like to show that like the Virgin Mary is not just for virgins, right? She's like for the disobedient and for the people like for sex workers and, and for women who get abortions and like all of these things, like she's, she meets you where you are. And so we really want to make a deck that, that puts people in touch with that. Mm. You hear that virgins, your reign is over. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So but Ramona, I mean, all that sounds awesome. And uh, I have a, uh, a sticker of Our Lady of Anti-Fascism. And, and at the end, hopefully Ramona is going to... We'll give Ramona a chance to plug where if they're still available, people can pick one up because they're so, so cool. But I need you to go like back to square one with tarot stuff because I really am not even quite clear on what the goal of, of tarot is. So could you just start like from the beginning? Like how is that different from the spells you were talking about? Like what, yeah. you know, where, where the... We're in a new thing here and I want to make sure that the listeners get that. Totally. So tarot is a form of divination. So it's a way of... You can use tarot if you want to find out information about stuff that's happening in the future. However, as a tarot reader, I find that tarot is best used as a way of reflecting your own energy back to you. So if I do tarot readings and someone's like, I've got this stuff going on, I don't really know what to do about it. And we do a tarot spread for them. What it's going to show them is you haven't really quite worked through this trauma yet. Or maybe you need to focus your energy on taking care of yourself instead of finding love. It really is like a therapist who, who's a little bit tougher. Like the tarot does not really pull punches. And, 
And so basically, the idea of tarot is that, you know, when I read tarot, I will call on my guides and I will say, please get in touch with the guides of so-and-so so I can deliver a message that they need to hear today. And so whatever the spread is, whatever question they're asking, um, there are 78 cards in tarot. And it does take some years to kind of get a, a sense of what the cards are trying to say. You know, I've been reading tarot for about 10 years and I'm only just now getting comfortable with like giving paid readings and interpreting it. But if you have a good guidebook and maybe a witch friend that you can reach out to for a second opinion, it's definitely the hardest to read for yourself because it's hard to be objective. But if you're reading for other people, if you're just starting out as a tarot reader, just practice giving readings to everyone you know and uh, start writing down, taking notes like, okay, this person was going through this situation and they got this card. And over time, you'll start to make associations. Or if you buy a tarot deck, you can pull a card every day at the beginning of the day and say, okay, I got um, you know, the Hierophant. What does that mean? And then you can look it up. And then at the end of the day, you can come back and see how did those themes play out in my day? So you can start to make like associations that way. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is that a good overview or? Yeah, that's really helpful. But now I uh, am not sure that I want the tarot to absolutely own me um, <laughs> the way that you described. As a side note, I, I got in, I tried to get into tarot and then just left it like a couple years ago. But um, there's a pretty, we were speaking of guidebooks. I, I read a couple of them and Michelle T has one that's just called Modern Tarot that I found as someone who had no experience with that tradition at all, I found it very accessible. And it's also very, not gender neutral, but just like it is like very oriented towards queer readers. So mm. if people are interested. Awesome. Yeah, I think I've heard of that book. And since we're giving recommendations, the two that I recommend all the time is one called 78 Degrees of Wisdom. The name escapes me right now of the author. And then Tarot as a Way of Life by I think her last name is Zondag Haymaker. And those are both really great books um, that kind of lead you... Like the tarot is the major arcana is the fool's journey. So it's like starts from the very beginning. The fool's like full of potential, not sure where they want to go. And then along the way, they meet like the mother figure, the father figure, the religious authority figure. Then they grow into their own person and they encounter love and death and challenges and chaos. And then at the end of the very tarot, it starts all over again. So um, yeah. One thing that sort of the first way that I heard about, I guess, some of these practices kind of coming into cultural mainstream in the West in the 20th century was through composers in the early 20th century who were really into something called theosophy. And I've seen you post about theosophy in the past sort of critiquing it. And I, I'm wondering if like how that relates and what that is and how it, how it might be different from what you're doing or any um, just more to trying to like flesh out more about the boundaries of, of this culture and these practices. Totally. So I've probably repost stuff that other people wrote about theosophy because I'm not super well-versed in it. I'm a big fan of Hilma Af Klimt, who is this artist who is influenced by theosophy. My understanding on the T of theosophy is that it's very patriarchal and quite uh, culturally appropriative. 
And I also weird fact, founder of Spalding Sport Company that like makes all of these baseball products was a theosophist, Albert Spalding. That's so interesting. (laughs) And then I think, so random. Um, And then I think the other thing is spiritualism, right? Like World War One, so many people died and then people wanted to get in touch with all the people they lost from that and the Spanish flu. So like mediumship became really big around that time too. Um, so I don't know that I can really talk about the difference between theosophy and Christian mysticism. I'm pretty sure theosophy tends to like lean much more towards that like rational, like platonic side of spiritualism than Christian or Catholic witchcraft. Um, so that's really all I can say about it. Yeah, I mean, the, the the part of it that I know is that, you know, around the same time that this group, uh, I mean, so it's a group of Russian composers who were most sort of drawn to theosophy that I'm aware of. And um, I'm almost positive that uh, one of their patrons was a woman who was a big, who was big into theosophy, who's also the same person who kind of popularized yoga in, in white practice in, in Western culture in the 20th century. So I, I agree that what I've heard of it is definitely, it shares that appropriative sort of strand in, in all of this. But Ramona, I mean, you just, you just hit on something important that I kind of wanted to maybe draw some bigger conclusions with, which is just, you know, the people I know that are, are doing witchcraft or talking about spells or things like this are typically younger. They're our age or even younger. And um, many times they're sort of have come out of the church, deconstructed their faith, but still want to have spiritual practice. Like, what do you think is so attractive to our generation and the younger generations about these practices that they're not getting anywhere else? Yeah, that's a great question. Um sort of what I was alluding to before with kind of like growing up in the church and appealing to an external God and asking him for things, you know, Um, magic is very empowering. It's very empowering to have a direct line of communication with angels and spirits and saints and the Virgin Mary, you know, it's, uh, and also too, you know, it's, yeah, it's like a reclamation of your own power and your own divinity, and you don't need to like constantly ask for permission. Um, it's it's a very intensely personal and also intensely energetically powerful thing to participate in. Um, I think that like the like magic and other you know tarot and all this stuff kind of works is like our minds are so like limited by our own materiality that like we're like a fly on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and we can only see like what our little fly eyes can show us. We don't get to see the entire thing, you know, and like reality is so much more than what we're able to perceive at any given point. And so magic and these kinds of like external, like non-church ways of interacting with the divine really start to open that up for us and open our eyes and hearts to things that we don't necessarily always see or hear about in church. Like church is very structured. There are like rules about what you, what's okay and not okay. And um, once you start getting into spiritual practices that are more magical, you realize that like, there's like so much more truth to our reality than we're, we're told. And that's, hard to walk away from once you get a taste of it. So Yeah, and I think that I think the fear gets uh in, in things like this get it gets uh described or articulated as like 
divination and then they point to uh, Deuteronomy or whatever, right? And and I but I think the fear is really in what you're describing, which is this kind of almost chaotic access to the divine that the church doesn't really know what to do with, and and so. And, you, and, in, and instead, the church just spends all this time trying to figure out how do we reach the millennials uh, when, when what they're actually looking for, what you all are actually describing is this kind of unfettered access, the ability to kind of connect and say, this is what I need, and then have a response in that, where the, which the church has been really bad about trying to articulate that or to show people how to access that kind of uh, spiritual life. So, um so, you know, chaos is the word that I use because that's what this, that this whole episode, I just keep thinking like, this is the most chaotic episode we've ever had. People are going <laughs> to, this, this might be the one that gets us canceled because I don't think yes. that people are ready for it, right? I don't, I think that there's so much stuff tied up in what we're talking about that, that, that would, can, can possibly like strangle what the, what, what the message actually is for me, which is, listen, if this stuff, if this is going to bring somebody closer to God or closer to the divine, and it's going to inform their life in a way that's positive so they can see themselves as, as, as somebody of, you know, of, of worth of, uh, I would use the language like calling themselves beloved, then great. This is something the church should, should adopt. But I think that that's going, that, that bridge is a, is a, is a, a big one for a lot of especially older people, where they, they'll get too tied up in the language, right? As opposed to what, what is actually being said, which is, we want this. Like, this is, this is a fundamentally, to me, a very positive thing of, I'm like preaching now, sorry. But it's like, this is like a, fundamentally a very positive thing where it's like people are saying, we want connection to this thing that you say you are about. Uh, and that's good. So anyway, that, that, I, I, I love it. Totally. And there's like a, a scripture in Acts where like the apostles cast lots or something, I think. And like, that's the one we always throw back. Like, okay, well, how's that any different than throwing tarot cards? That's like, like a, is that what they mean by an Acts, early Acts, uh, early church, right? Is that what that, that's what they're going for? So, all right. You're that joke is what's going to get us canceled. Um, <laughs> no, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, famously would uh, cast lots whenever he had to make a decision. If he woke up in the middle of the night, he would be like, he would say a prayer, God, did you wake me up so that I could like work? And he would cast lots. And if they came up, yes, he would spend the rest of the night working. If they came up, no, he would go back to sleep. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Well, and just to show how triggered evangelical older Christians are by all this, in Knoxville, there's a giant billboard next to evangelical church that says, young people, and beware that it has that Deuteronomy verse about divination. So uh, they're, I mean, they're noticing it, if nothing else, and getting extremely angry about it. <laughs> yeah. And I think it ultimately comes down to power, right? And gatekeeping. Because it's like, we have like, if you if you listen to this podcast and you're like, well, I'm not okay with this because the rules are, or my pastor told me, or I grew up being told this. It's like, okay, well, so are we into like church bootlicking now? Like what is like, <laughs> when are you gonna like think for yourself? You know, like this is like, why are we upholding truth? Like if 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 the church is is literally bleeding millennials and and Gen Z, like they can't get those people to come into the fold. Maybe they need to take like a long, hard look and have a come to Jesus moment about like, what is it that we are doing structurally or like gatekeeping wise that like is preventing people from wanting to be a part of this? Because like art or music or anything else, like you can't hold on to tradition like, like it's like, your life raft because it's not going to save you. Like you have to be willing to like let 
it evolve in a way that that speaks to people like authentically and and also I'm not saying that we should throw out tradition too like my practice as a Christian witch and also as a Christian like is very much based in tradition you know like I'm saying the same prayers when I say the rosary that people have been saying for thousands of years and like I very much take pride in the fact that I'm a Christian and I want my behavior and my kindness and and my magic to be an inspiration for other people to show them that like Christianity isn't all bad and we shouldn't all just get rid of it. Because like, if you're practicing Christianity right, like you are anti-fascist, you are like abolitionist, you are like radical and, and tapped into a power that is much greater than us. And so like, I don't know, I think, I think the church needs to, to loosen up a little bit to say the least. Shocking. Well, Shocking. Go, go Carrie. Oh, I mean, I, I, and I, I hear all of that. And I think maybe I agree with it. Um, I just, I do want to hold space for people who like maybe are listening to this and feeling like a genuine sense of fear about that. Because I do think that like when we start talking about things in like the more spiritual realm, part of it does come out of like a real fear in the Protestant tradition of like specifically demons mm-hmm. um, or the darker side of spiritual forces, which I think in many, even like Protestant evangelical churches are seen as like a real force, even if the other side of it, uh, like the angels and saints that you um, work with are maybe not seen as so legitimate. And so I, I, I mean, I guess cards on the table, like <laughs> that, like, like a lot of this, a lot of my reactions in this conversation I've been listening is like, okay, but how do we know what we're, Totally. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a really important point. First of all, I want to say if you throw tarot, you're not going to be opening up a portal to the devil. If you're doing the Ouija board, which I personally don't do because that's pretty chaotic, you could theoretically get in touch with any random dead person who wants to troll you. If you're doing magic, you really like to actually summon a demon takes a lot of work and you have to be very specifically trying to summon a demon to actually like get in touch with the demon, right? Like if you're chanting and trying to get in touch with an archangel and you like take all the steps to like do the circle and like protect yourself from any like other bad energies that may be around, you're not going to accidentally hit like speed dial and get like Lucifer on the phone if you're trying to contact (laughs) Michael, you know? It doesn't really work that way. Um, I totally get why people would be frightened of that. And I think I also am like coming from a place where I have always felt like extremely protected. And so like, I don't worry about that as much as maybe like like somebody else might. Um, But I will just say like, if you ask for protection and you ask whatever it is you're doing, like if you want to start communicating with saints and angels, if you ask for protection, you will get it. And also if you are like, you know, it's really rare that like, when I say like I'm communicating with saints or channeling saints, I'm not talking about like seeing them appear in my room and having like an actual like back and forth conversation with them. It's more like impressions that I get, thoughts that come into my head, you know, it's, it's, if you're ever feeling like you're getting information that's like violent or harmful or scary, you know, that's like, uh, it is possible 
that you're, you know, connecting with some negative energy. But like, I so rarely hear that happening with people who are getting into this. And like, but like use, you know, trust your gut, you know, like use your own discernment. And if you like, you also don't have to do this alone. There is a lot of people like on Instagram and like me, like if you, if you're interested in getting in, like getting in touch with like spirits or saints or angels or whatever, and feel like I'm worried that I'm accidentally going to contact something that I don't want to, like you can reach out to me. I can connect you with other people who are like, who can show you like how to do things properly so that you're like protecting yourself. But like on the whole, like I personally have never encountered a dark entity and to have that happen, you really have to be like saying Latin words you don't understand and like not doing proper spiritual hygiene. You know, you're more likely going to get an encounter with a dark energy or dark spirit if you are hanging out with a friend who's toxic and not setting an emotional boundary. Like that's, you're way more likely to like bring dark energy into your life by like doing that than you are any kind of ritual magic. Well, Ramona, this has been um, this has been really awesome, and I want you to spend our remaining couple of minutes here plugging all of your work, letting know where listeners can find you. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. So the best place to find me is on Instagram. My Instagram is at by b y underscore Ramona R A M O N A underscore Martinez M A R T I N E Z, and on that page you can also find my feminist art collective that produces that zine I mentioned, and also the Visions of Mary page, which is our page for our Oracle Deck project. And you can also find me on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Ramona Martinez. I would love it. Uh. Uh. I have like a level that's like $2.22 a month. And all of that goes towards like my linoleum and paying for my studio and all that stuff. So, and I I do like tarot readings for my patrons and send them cool swag. So I will spoil you if you join me on there. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. And oh, and reach out to me if you want to talk more about this, any aspect of it whatsoever. Um, I'm totally here as a resource for anyone who wants to talk. I can uh, attest to the swag. I um, helped contribute to the first zine and, and got a lot of really cool stuff. And the zine is awesome. So even if... Um, yeah, go out and check that out. And I think there's another issue coming, right? Yep. April 2nd, it's going to be Fever Dreams of Mother Earth, all about the environment and uh, how we are connected or not connected to it. So super exciting. Awesome. Well, all of that info that Ramona just mentioned will be in the show notes. Um, like and subscribe, all those things. Give we us didn't some... have corner. Oh my gosh. It's well, so... I have one if we've got time, Brian. <laughs> Brian's got 120 seconds. Go ahead. If I have to step away, uh, just know that I don't uh, endorse anything uh, that I have not actually heard. So go ahead. Gary. <laughs> Listen, well, I'm going to keep it short because he's already been to the fight corner once. Uh, but Ramona did mention his, like the direct consequences of his actions. Greg Abbott, welcome back to the fight corner. <laughs> you are once again going to get beat up by me in a parking lot. Uh, this time, it's not even because you froze me in my house. But he 
announced um, by this by the time this episode comes out, it will have been a couple weeks ago. He announced on Texas Independence Day that he is lifting the mask mandate in Texas. We are currently having a spike because uh, so many people had to leave their homes because of their loss of power or loss of water. And he was like, you know what? I want more people to die. And I'm just going to keep distracting from the fact that like I could have changed literally all of this just by myself. So Greg Abbott. Carrie, I'm going to, I'm going to do a binding spell, which is not a hex. It just involves oh, no. wrapping his, his candle in twine so that he can't do any more damage than he's already done. So I'll let, I'll let you know. Well, yeah. I'll take all of it. If there are any Texas witches listening, join Ramona in that. <laughs> because I, ass. I hate Greg so much. I hate him so much. It's hard for me to be articulate. So welcome to Fight Corner. I will fight you in the Keller, Texas, Chili's parking lot. Once again, I, I, I don't know whether to be hopeful that our podcast uh, uh, pops off, as the kids say, like I said yesterday, uh, uh, because of something happening to that we hex Greg Abbott. But uh, if that's what happens, uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I am personally not going to hex him, but maybe some other people out there might, you know. My family is from Corpus Christi, so that's where my... Uh, that's where my magic comes from. So it's going to be Texas-specific, Greg Abbott. <laughs> you know what? In a world where we have to put up with people like Greg Abbott being in power over us and, you know, actively like being disenfranchised and maybe not having a future, it should be no surprise to anyone that young people are like, please, someone from the spiritual <laughs> realm, pay attention to my life and fucking help me. Yeah. So, yep. Um, Ramona... All takes have truly been revealed, including how you can get a husband or a spouse <laughs> or a partner or a, a buddy or whatever. Like, Get rid of a boyfriend. Else. How you can get rid of a boyfriend if you're looking to. Or how you can <laughs> yeah, like, get your boyfriend or your shitty boyfriend canceled yeah. by the saints. Um, <laughs> because we live in an apocalyptic age and all takes will be revealed until we get canceled. <laughs> <laughs>